Hey, Ruth. Hey, Patrick. So I've been thinking a lot about the ways that restaurants are changing right now. Like they're obviously facing a ton of financial challenges and they're doing what's being required of them. There's like plexiglass and social distancing between the tables. And they're also setting up heaters and tents, which reminds me of my new favorite thing, which I know is your favorite word, uh, streetery. I think I hate it because I don't know how to spell it. I'm like, is it street? Like we are on the streetery, or is it like stra eating? We're streeting. <laughs> you know, is it s t r e e t or s t r e a t? You should let your heart decide. You know, your heart is never wrong. Ugh, right? No, spelling is the law. But I, I keep finding myself wishing we could just like zip into the future where the pandemic is over and we've come up with all of these better ways to handle all the problems that exist now. Like uh, when the Flintstones meet the Jetsons. Now, let's see if I have this right. The gentleman ordered corned beef and cabbage. The ladies ordered lamb chops. And you... It's fun to imagine also like some like prehistoric like early form of a human being like eating corned beef and cabbage yeah they haven't even <laughs> discovered fire yet and they're like yes i will have we know how to cure the boiled meat <laughs> yeah coming right up sir comes away immediately with a laser gun for contactless delivery he's like levitating the plates down of the table and the barbecued steak Medium rare. I hope it's the way you like it. Hey, you call this a steak? What's wrong, sir? Too well done? <gasps> Their dishes are in the form of pills. Um, so instead of like physical food that they're eating, it's just like a brown pellet. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> it's kind of like that scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory where Willy Wonka presents Violet Beauregard this chewing gum that he's developed, which is supposed to taste like a full meal. Oh, right. It's the most amazing, fabulous, sensational gum in the whole world. What's so fabulous? And then she just, like, keeps expanding and expanding and expanding, right? She, like, blows a bubble, like, inside of herself or something. Yeah, it's clearly, like, a work in progress. And Willy Wonka <laughs> may or may not have fed it to her on purpose since she needs to be taught a lesson. That's so funny. I feel like in the movies and on TV, the future never has all of the kinks quite worked out. Like, which is sometimes good and funny, but also sometimes, like, really terrifying. And there are glimpses of that future right now like i've seen some of these some like ridiculous products that you can buy for your restaurant like are you are you ready to see these yeah this is like the recommended for you section on amazon isn't it exactly here we go here's here's item number one i just sent it to you all right opening the chat so ruth this is the plex eat and for the low price oh boy of 134 dollars it can be yours uh, it kind of looks like a really, it's like a, it's like a, <laughs> it looks like a lighting fixture, first of all. It's like a cylindrical, it looks, oh God, I don't know. It looks like an upside down broken plastic cup that like you see <laughs> after, on the floor after a party. <laughs> it's like a clear plastic lampshade that you put over yeah, your head. Yes. So, yes, that's a better way so of in each it. of your dining companions has their own plex eat to isolate their spit stuff. 
This is so funny, though, because it's just going like it's a clear lampshade that you put over your head to contain all your spittle. (laughs) And it's just going to like I'm clicking through these pictures and they have models like uh, presumably like on a date or something in these plex eats. And it's just so funny because if you actually sat in these like it would just be super gross for everyone involved. Like You just see like spit and like food mess all over it yeah that's one i'm not a super fan of but i want to send you another one which is my current favorite thing your current favorite thing so i want to introduce you to tony the robotic bartender for the sweet sweet price of one hundred and ten thousand dollars tony can make you any cocktail that you want him to make all without any human interaction. First of all, how do you know that Tony is a he? Excellent point. Never assume. Never assume. Oh my God, this is like a car commercial. What the hell is happening? Oh, it's it's like a robotic arm that's attached to the to a bar. They don't even <laughs> show it in motion. It's just like a bunch of really dramatic music unveiling this robotic arm fixed atop of a bar. Nothing says homey and futuristic like a robot arm making you a cocktail. It's like a half step away from the future in Ex Machina. So obviously this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to pandemic equipment for restaurants. And while some of it is like really ridiculous, like I get the problems that they're trying to solve. There are specific reasons for these things to exist and it's helpful to know that people are like working towards a future where dining at a restaurant is totally safe, which is something that I don't feel right now. I'm Patrick Fort. And I'm Ruth Tam. This is Dish City. Today, we're time traveling. What does the restaurant of the future look like? And what can we learn from restaurants that survived the 1918 pandemic? Okay, Ruth, imagine, if you will, a new restaurant, D.C.'s hottest restaurant, called Little Dishies. The year is 2022, and Little Dishies has got everything figured out. Like, they've seen how restaurants handled the coronavirus pandemic, and now they are here to conquer the restaurant world. How exciting is this? Wow. Welcome to the future. It's so beautiful. What is this place? Little Dishies is built in a space that once was a rainforest cafe. You know, you have to take what you can get in this real estate market. On first glance, it looks pretty normal. There's just like the right amount of light. It's not too bright, not too dark. And there's lots of hard surfaces. In the air, you can detect like the slightest hint of cleaning products, which is a little unpleasant, but also reassuring. My type of vibe. What's this, fellow humans? So many humans. Yes, there are diners here, indoors, enjoying each other's company without fear, without hesitation. It starts from the beginning, right when you, you know, enter the space or before you approach the space, is seeing that kind of smiling face and that hostess um, able there to greet you. Ruth, I'd like to introduce you to Ashley Kirkland. She's a restaurant architect and designer here in D.C., and she's been thinking a lot about what restaurants of the future, like Little Dishies, will look like. 
I think that's something that's going to be fun over the next couple of months is kind of embracing what we're dealing with and finding cool, creative ways that we can, you know, give people the sense of safety, but maybe do it in a more fun way. So when you first arrive at Little Dishies, you check in with the reservation. And Ashley says that's for contact tracing reasons, like we have them now but also because restaurants will want to keep tables moving so people aren't lingering around for too long. But wait, Ruth, do you hear that? Do you hear that noise? No, all I hear are the sounds of hip jams and happy humans. No, it's the new air filtration system specifically designed for this restaurant. Fresh. I was talking to a designer friend of mine about this this morning, and they were saying, you know, oh, I heard that they can put UV lights inside of the ductwork, and, you know, that's an extra level of trying to clean the air. And I just think a lot of restaurants are going to try and start to implement some of those elements um, in the space as well. So we're going to our table. Maybe the movement in this restaurant will be one way, so people aren't crossing paths as much. And also the tables will probably be farther apart. Maybe not the like six feet minimum we're used to today, but it's still something. It's a very organized conveyor belt. Exactly. Another potential thing is instead of it just being one open space, creating kind of nooks and crannies in smaller rooms um, so that you're able to kind of still get that intimate feeling, but you're not necessarily being exposed to every single person in the restaurant. Now, Ruth, we have arrived at our table. I'm sorry there are no, like, plexiglass lampshade beekeeper hats for us, but you may notice that the backs on these booths behind us are slightly higher than you're used to. It's kind of like a little, like, pod situation. You can see out into the restaurant, but you're not backing up into anyone. And these seats are comfy, but they're not, like, too comfy. Wait, is the restaurant of the future not comfortable? This is actually a thing that restaurants have been doing for a while. Like the idea is to keep tables turning and you do that by making sure nobody stays too long. Now it just has the added benefit of making sure people don't linger too long in the like post pandemic future. Um, I think the biggest thing is to make it not feel like an obstruction. Um, I one of the things we've been asked about a lot are screens and I think the plexi screens work fine um but I will say you know it can kind of start to give you like a jail vibe and we don't want that and so I think it's integrating it in the space making it a part of the motif and the design that you're already implementing in the space um so that it's not just this screen system stuck right on top of it what do you think of the place um it feels super sterile um how rude what i think that's a good that's a compliment in this new post-coronavirus future what ashley told me is that diners need to know that their restaurant is clean but you don't want them to be reminded of it every single minute basically the idea is to hide the new aspects of design meant to increase safety That table you're sitting at is made from antimicrobial surfaces that are super easy to clean. The whole restaurant also gets deep cleaned every morning. And all of that happened before the first diners arrived at 5 p.m. So we just sat down and we're thinking about what to order. Uh, Do you want a cocktail? Do you want something to drink? Do you want to see the menu? 
Yes, yes, and yes. I need to be fed and watered. <laughs> okay, so scan this little QR code right over here and pull up the menu on your phone uh, and press the intercom button when you're ready to speak to your server. See, how is this not sterile? <laughs> At the very top of the menu, uh, you might want to notice that there's a little note about tipping, how tipping works at Little Dishies. Allow me to read it for you. There is no tipping at Little Dishies. All gratuity is included in the price of the meal. This uh, idea of no tipping is something that the dining industry is actually already talking about, like not in the future, like real life 2020 world. Let me introduce you to Molly Horn. She's the general manager at All Set, a restaurant in Silver Spring. We were talking about switching all of our staff to a salary um, and just raising our prices and having it be like everything's included, but now your burger is $19 instead of $15. But all of these people now have been like, you know, you're supporting the staff. They have benefits and they have, you know, paid time off and all of this kind of stuff that restaurants aren't necessarily known for. <laughs> Honestly, here at Little Dishies, I'm surprised there's still human wait staff. Like, if Little Dishies has been hardcore optimized for health and safety, and you have to scan a QR code to get a menu and press a button to place an order, is there a need for human waitstaff like before the pandemic? You know, that's a fair question, but the human interaction portion of dining out is one of my favorite parts about it. And this is my version of the future. So be a little optimistic with me and just like imagine the ride. Imagine how we get there. So you've now eaten at the hottest future restaurant in town. No menus, little isolated like booth pod tables, no tipping. What did you think? Well, I mean, I'm happy to be here. And honestly, I'm happy to be anywhere these days. But Little Dishies is definitely different from the dining experiences I had in the pre-pandemic days. And I'm left wondering if I should just be glad that I made it on the other side of this or if I should question some of the practices we've adopted in order to get to the other side of this. Like, is having a restaurant with less human interaction the price I need to pay if I want to dine in a future restaurant? I hope not. Okay, so we've taken a peek into the future, but after the break, I want to take you back in time to see how restaurants adapted during other public health crises. So you know how they say if you don't know the past, you're doomed to repeat it? Yes. I was thinking about how this applies to restaurants in how they've handled past pandemics. Um, so the year is 1918, and we're kind of nearing the end of World War I. There are soldiers like moving all across the country and then across the Atlantic Ocean. And as the troops are spreading out, so is this like deadly strain of influenza. Um, Ruth, what do you know about how public health officials responded in U.S. cities? Um, I guess from the little that I've read about it, there are a lot of striking similarities between how people responded then and the way people responded now in terms of trying to shut things down. You're right. Uh, a lot of things were shut down. Places like movie houses and theaters and schools, they were all shut down. Like offices and factories staggered their closing times so that when people were going home, the public transit wasn't as crowded. But do you want to know what things stayed open? Restaurants. Restaurants. Restaurants, <laughs> for the most part, stayed open. 
And that is because they played a really different role in American society back then than they do now. It would be people who worked. Maybe they didn't even, you know, have a place to fix a lunch that they would take with them. So they would go to these lunchrooms. This is Jan Whitaker. She's a sociologist by trade and has made it her hobby to research tons of restaurant history. She told me that back in the early 20th century, restaurants were more utilitarian. They served a working crowd, especially in cities. Restaurants stayed open because back then, the people that worked there were considered essential workers, even more so than now. Some places were requiring that servers wore masks, that there be much more spacing from table to table. Some places set a limit sort of on how long you could be in there. I even found some place that said you couldn't order dessert uh, with, uh, unless you ordered a meal. I don't exactly understand that one. Because we all know that dessert is a key transmission vector for infectious diseases, obviously. Like you were saying, Ruth, it's, it's kind of startling to see like how identical all of this was to now, except with the exception of dessert. I mean, I, can, I don't think anyone's stopping me from getting dessert. But there was one big change that kind of came out of all of this, which really like blew my mind. A lot of restaurants did not sterilize their dishes. They did not use boiling water when they washed them. And that was a major order coming from health departments. And as I say, it surprises me it hadn't come before that, truthfully. Coming out of this public health crisis, we started standardizing the sanitization of dishware. This somehow was like not a standard practice. How novel. So it was like clear at that time that that was a thing, like washing your dishes with hot water. Like that was a known way to like prevent the spread of like germs and diseases. Yeah, because they weren't doing it before. Like some places were cleaning them, but like a lot of times you would like get the cup from the person who was using it before. But they were just like, mm, maybe we should stop that. Maybe we should actually, you know, clean things. Who knew? Imagine eating off a plate someone had just licked clean. It, it's very gross. But it's also, like, fascinating to me, this other thing that happened. Like, after the war ends and the pandemic continues, restaurants start to use their cleaning processes as a part of their marketing campaigns. Like, we clean our place so often, and, like, you'll never get sick at our restaurant. They even advertised their ventilation systems. What was the ventilation system? What was, like, a top-grade ventilation system like in 1918? Like a window? An open window? <laughs> One other thing that became popular in the 1920s were these, like, white-tiled restaurants, uh, and that's because people associated, like, these, these white ceramic tiles with, like, cleanliness. They were super bright in compared to, like, the dim, musty, wood-paneled, like, restaurants and watering holes that were popular before the 1918 pandemic. It's funny that we can look back like nearly 100 years ago and make fun of the fact that restaurants didn't properly wash their dishes and they only started to do that because of, there was this pandemic. Yeah, it's like so common sense now, but at the time, like people were like, why do we have to do this? This is a stupid idea. Are you saying that like a century from now, we'll look back at selfies of us eating without these beekeeper lampshade helmet things and be like, can you believe we ate in public without protection? Yeah, maybe or we'll like think about like how crazy it was that we ever ate at a packed restaurant. We were just like crammed shoulder to shoulder with people at the next table. 
Maybe we won't have robots at every bar, but maybe more cocktails will come pre-mixed to, you know, reduce human contact and speed up efficiency. There's only going to be some robots at some bars. It just depends on, like, what the future we want to build is and what lessons we can identify. Yeah, I mean, if we decide human contact at restaurants should be preserved, maybe tipping based on service will die and paying for salaries and healthcare benefits will be built into the cost of a dish. And maybe every restaurant will be made of white tile with no fabric cushions or wood paneling to be found. Right. No comfort. Maybe we'll eat in zero gravity chambers where, you know, you can't touch anything, including your food, and you just have to (laughs) crash into it on accident. It'll just be like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer eats potato chips in space, and it's glorious. They'll clog the instruments! Careful, they're ruffled. I'll take care of this. This episode of Dish City was produced by me, Patrick Fort. And me, Ruth Tam. Our managing producer is Ponzi Rudge. This episode was mixed by Ben Privet. Monica Ashby is WAMU's chief content officer and oversees everything we make here. Special thanks to historians Alex Navarro and Rebecca Spang, who provided tons of information while making this episode. What's the future restaurant of your dreams? Share your predictions and ideas for future episodes with us via email at dishcity at wamu.org. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at dishcity. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe and leave a review. We'll be back soon to talk about how restaurants are preparing for winter. See ya. Bye. Bye.